Welcome to Episode 4 of the Mission Innovate Podcast from the Baptist Convention of Iowa. My name is Ben Bradley, BCI Communications and Outreach Director. And I'm Chris Eller, BCI Associate Executive Director, and this podcast is devoted to discovering how your church can take its next step to multiply disciples, churches, and mission to fulfill the Great Commission. In this episode of the Mission Innovate podcast, BCI leadership and ministry development coach Chris Mavity introduces the absolute best discipleship program for your church. It's called Integrated Discipleship, and I think you'll be surprised at what it is and how you can utilize it to cultivate more discipleship in your church. Let's go to the interview. Chris, in the churches that you've served in the past, how have you worked toward developing discipleship in those places where you have served, integrating this discipleship into the church's ministries? You know, there's lots of different ways to do that. And one of the things we've not talked about is uh, the idea of some aspects of discipleship depend upon the discipler, <laughs> mm. you know, and their own experiences, uh, their own relationship with God, and then, you know, how that transfers and translates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I learned a long time ago that my capabilities and capacities are limited. Uh, and not only limited, but significantly limited, especially compared to the need. Hmm. And it's probably in my ministry life where I began to understand the power of uh, disciple-making processes or systems. And to bottom line it, I can't reproduce myself, (laughs) you know, in the sense of discipleship uh, or being a leader or whatever. But the system that I develop can reproduce me over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so one of the keys to effective and long-lasting discipleship is the development of a system that ends up producing the result that you want. That's why I'm such a big clarity guy. If you can clearly articulate what it is that you want from a system then we can backwards engineer the system and get you pretty much exactly what you want. Henry Ford, the automaker guy, is famous for saying he had, well, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> you know. And so his production line and the way that he that way that started out anyway producing Fords was one color. Because why? Because it was easy. <laughs> it was one color. Well now if Ford operated that way, they wouldn't be in business anymore, right? You know, and so we have to adapt our systems to the wants, needs, and desires of the culture, uh, so that we not only scratch where people are itching, but we stay true to um, the mandate that we have from our Lord and Savior to make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Chris, it looked like you were getting ready to chime in on that. No, I think I think that's a really good point because. It goes back to what you were saying of of copying other churches and everything. You know, it's like just because a a certain church is making disciples one way does not mean that's going to work in your environment. You've got to have a custom approach to it. Now, you can learn from others. You you have done that in your career many times, but you can't just take a, a... plug and play system. You've got to be able to look at your environment 
and figure out how to make it work in your environment. How do you help folks who are in that situation? How would you help Mm. me if I was a pastor of a church of 150 trying to figure this out? And I I don't know where to start at this point. Very important question, Chris. Thank you for asking that. Um, For me, I always start with where are your strengths? What are you strong and capable? And what do you have the most experience in doing? Um, and then leverage that. But in finding out where strengths lie, then we also see the gaps uh, because none of us is everything to everybody. And then we backfill those gaps uh, so that we can have this integrated model. And so let's say that somebody was intellectually appealing and uh, very study-oriented and easy to analyze information. Well, let's utilize that as far as Bible study and what's the scripture really saying. Uh, but maybe they, they so that's a positive thing. Uh, but maybe they either don't have the time or inclination or maybe they're socially awkward and, and really don't have the relational capabilities and capacities. Well, it doesn't mean you just don't do that. It just means you get somebody else to do that part of it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and effectively. You know, well, our churches are full of people that have relational uh, astuteness and IQ and and all of that kind of thing, and then and then we have other people um, that uh, that might not, you know, like me, that aren't that talented, uh, that have to rely upon talented people to fill in that part of it. So, discipleship sometimes is, oh, I need I need to be the disciple maker. No, the church needs to be the disciple maker. Does that make sense? That's a shift. It is. You so know, it, mm-hmm. pull that apart a little bit more because I think that is a big shift for how people think. It's very interesting to me that early on in my Christian life, it was um, pretty apparent that I was supposed to win souls. That, that was the terminology back then. In other words, I was to be the spokesperson to evangelize, to tell somebody about Jesus, include my story in that, and lead them into faith in Christ. Okay, that was a big thing. And I did that. But the more that I learned, the more that I was discipled or came to understanding and connecting relationally and did activity to advance God's kingdom, then here's what I began to understand, especially after you listen to somebody's story. It's almost never one data point or one interest point or one... It is almost always a compilation of three or four or five or eight or however. It's a number of intersection points. And so it made me know and understand what Paul was articulating about the body life even more because mostly it's a church, it's a body of believers that end up leading somebody into uh, faith in Christ. Um, I think that might be one reason why Jesus told us, well, if you love one another, uh, then people will know that you're my disciples. Well, that's a pretty broad statement, but it's all related to a bunch of us, not one of us. So if, if I understand what you're saying, you're, you're talking about how it's um, the multiplication of disciples. It does not rest uh, solely on an individual, but it's going to rest on the church as a group of individuals who are serving together to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, because I think when you when we use the word, for example, system, it can now that 
I think we can often we can hear something that is impersonal that exists outside of the uh. of the individuals. But if I'm understanding what you're saying, it's really more that this is it is a it is a goal and mission objective for us as a collection. Uh, the body of Christ have to take that on collectively and not own every aspect uh, of that individually. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I never thought of that articulation as being so void of human uh, in the system because the system exists and people plug into that system. So the system is totally run by people. It's people-centric, not widget-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for pointing that out. As it relates to people as a family or as a body of believers um, having the influence on people so that they then make a decision to follow Christ. Um, I think it's this idea of we all have talents, gifts, abilities, and uh, responsibilities that are given to us by God. And as the body functions and people that don't know the Lord see that, they got to scratch their head, especially if we're in unity, uh, and we love one another and go, what is going on here? Because this does not exist in my everyday world. It would have to make people take pause and at least have a curiosity. Now they could find out the reason and say, eh, I don't believe it, or that's not me, or, or whatever. But our country has, as one of its top characteristics, and I mean, we'll live and die on this idea of individuality, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, yep. holy cow, our whole... Uh, our whole systems are based upon you're not the boss of me. <laughs> you know, we broke away from England and, right. you know, all, all, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, Christianity poses a threat to that. It's almost diametrically opposed uh, because healthy mm-hmm. Christianity is lived in community. It's not lived individually. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so we, we see an individual Often, individual worship leader, individual pastor giving the message, whatever, and we think, oh, well, an individual is responsible for discipleship. But what I'm saying is, no, integrated discipleship involves the body of the church. That's why I'm saying your church is the discipleship program, not something you bought from NavPress or Light whomever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's now. Can those things be helpful? Absolutely, they can be helpful. I'm not discounting them, but I'm saying that choose wisely because your church is formulating and is the discipleship program that Jesus is counting on. I think that's really a a good observation, and it goes back to one of the evaluation points that you mentioned, which was the calendar. And if you as a church, when you're designing your system— if you're keeping people busy doing everything but discipleship, you're not going to see discipleship happen. So um, while bingo or basketball or whatever may be really important within the church confines of um, what you think community life should be, if it doesn't have a discipleship component to it that's actually producing disciples, then it's, it's waste of time. 
So does that mean you can't play basketball and not be making disciples? No, I think you can use basketball as a way to make disciples, but it has to have an intentionality there that's beyond just getting a group of people together to chase a ball up and down the court. Yeah, we're, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm headed up to go see the Father and so start a rec league. Jesus, uh, He didn't say that. <laughs> he So... How did he do most of his discipleship? He took guys fishing, right? You know, he went out and it was doing life together. It was it was as they were doing life, he was making disciples. Yeah, I haven't researched it enough myself, but I did hear a preacher say one time, somebody I respect highly, say that um, in the Great Commission, it's as you go, make disciples, you know, and so that fits with what, what you're saying. And um, so the idea isn't, you know, spin your church. Your church doesn't need to find a missing link. Your church isn't, you know, all we have to do is think through the mandates of scripture and the examples that we have from that early church of how fast this spread. And it was because pastors equipped the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, I don't know how many other stories there are um, that we don't have the history on and they're not included in our scriptures, but we follow the, uh, the trail of Paul, you know, so we have a lot of emphasis there, but there was more than Paul planting churches. There had to be because one guy couldn't plant enough churches for everything to happen in a mm-hmm. hundred years, you know, everything that happened, happened within that hundred year, you know, time frame. I don't know what those, uh, other folks did and all that, but the whole concept and idea of uh, even the Apostle Paul was, I am the catalyst, I started this thing, you guys continue, I'm headed out to go do the next thing. Well, not all of us can do that, but we all can do our part within the body life, within the family. Uh, if you're hospitable, show hospitality. Um, if you give, and you're, uh, you know, you're give well, give, you know, if you're a teacher, teach Is that, you know, and, and so all of those things together are the discipleship quote unquote program. I like the way that you said it a little bit earlier, Chris, that as you're doing this, you're discipling, keep that front of mind instead of back of mind. And it would probably change your calendar. Um, certainly some of the events within the calendar, but then the the allocation of time slots as well. I always go back to a, a word picture that Derwin Gray used. And oh, if you know, he's a football I, player. Yeah. Used, uh, so, um, so the picture is obviously football. And he said, so many pastors uh, look at Sunday morning as the game. You know, so they mm. have their crowd come yep. in and the crowd uh, that is made up of fans and the pastor and the staff, they're the team. They're out on the field. They're playing the game and the crowd is sitting there watching them play the game and cheering them on and doing everything. And then they leave and go home and that's it. Right. He's like, it takes a whole mind shift, mind shift set to, to be able to say, you know, that Sunday morning is your team meeting that this is when you are bringing the players in Mm. and you're training Mm. them, you're Mm. equipping them to go out and play the game, not to come in and watch you as the pastor and the staff and the, and the people leading the church 
play the football game. I always thought that was a really, yeah. really good paradigm shift that a lot of us need to really evaluate. What are we trying to accomplish yeah. on Sunday morning? Are we playing the football game while everyone else is watching? Or are we bringing our church in, training and equipping them to, to play to the, game play the game and then go yeah. out and play it. Well, good for Gerwin. I think that's an astute observation. And the, uh, the, the mindset shift that has to occur, another one, is this, in my opinion. Discipleship is difficult work. It's not an easy assignment. Accept that, you know, and then go, okay, if it's difficult then how can I make it a little bit less difficult if I can? But am I up for the challenge where it is difficult? And listen, the, the, the gospel is especially counterculture today, especially, you know. But we need to be wise like serpents but harmless like doves. Sometimes I think we're harmless like doves and, you know, the revert and – and we're a little bit more like serpents in the, you know, cultural wars. And it's like, no, 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 we don't need to do that. We don't need to mess with that. We have a difficult assignment from our Lord. Um, no question about it. And if you're a pastor, um, a church leader, if you're a Christian in our world today, I know and understand it's difficult um, to live authentically and follow after the mandates that, are, that we find in Scripture, okay, I can't make it undifficult for you or anybody else. But what we can do is say, hey, let's come together. Let's be different as Jesus wants us to be different. Let's not antagonize just to antagonize, but let's be different. And then some people are going to be drawn to that. Um, and those that are drawn to that are going to increase the family and then help us even reach more people. That's how it works. So I'm listening to what you're saying, and I realize, you know, my church is not making disciples. Like, I believe God really intends for the church to make disciples. What are some next steps that I can take as a pastor or church leader that would help put me on that pathway to seeing my church make disciples? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is instead of thinking about the whole church, think about one person. And just map out in your mind, what's an ideal, you know? And now I know and understand, Ben's looking at me like, oh, geez, here we go. Uh, and uh, I understand ideal never happens. I get it. Uh, but if we don't have an idea of ideal or we can't map out ideal, then it's very unlikely that anything else will happen. So like, what would that look like? What would it look like to enlist a follower, to lead somebody to Jesus? How would that happen then? What would, what would you do next? Um, what, what would you want them to learn? How would you like to approach that? You know, all those different kinds of things. Map that out. Now, it's going to be a futile exercise, and I'll tell you that up front, because discipleship does not follow our linear patterns. <laughs> Have you noticed? <laughs> At least it hasn't in my life. Uh, I can remember I had a daughter that was born with a significant heart defect, and um, uh, it was a you know heart wrenching time. But nothing built our faith by our, I mean, me and my wife Kathy's faith, 
than Rachel and the difficulty that she had in her early life because we had to rely upon God and nothing in my life has built my faith like that. You know, well, that happened when I was 28. Mm -hmm. You know, I know other people that struggle with their faith and they're 58, Mm -hmm. you know, God took, I mean, my discipleship, my experience, my activity, the activity that God put into my life helped me solidify that to a very, very significant degree through the life of my daughter. Well, I know other people that know and understand the sovereignty of God much better than I do because they had to trust in God for something else. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, the so, so anyway, um, we can have this sort of uh, ideal pathway or pattern or whatever, but then be flexible enough to know and understand that the likelihood that somebody's going to follow that is nearly zero. But we like to think kindergarten, first grades, elementary, you know, junior high, high school, undergrad, grad, you know, we, we think in linear, in linear terms, but life does not work in a linear fashion and neither does discipleship. And so we need to mold and flex within that. Um, but we need to have the ideal um, that we're looking at so that that happens. Some of us might be familiar with the purpose-driven church and um, uh, some of the stuff that came out of Saddleback. Um, and I remember the bases, the baseball diamond, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, when you're teaching, you have to teach something that, that follows some logical progression. But Saddleback knew and understood, well, sometimes people are like t-ball players and they hit the ball and they run to third. You know, they don't, they don't necessarily go to first base. Sometimes they run to second base and then third base and then first base. And then, yeah, I mean, it, it and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but our academic models that we've pursued or many of us have pursued, especially those of us in the uh, profession of being a pastor, we're, our preset is to follow an academic model, you know, because that's the pre, that's what we know best because we lived it for, you know, 25 years or whatever, uh, maybe longer of our life. And, um, but I want to reintroduce this idea that when Christianity spread throughout the world in the first century, there were no academics at the time, zero, (laughs) or maybe two or four or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Paul was pretty smart and there's a few, you know, but for the most part, it it, it spread because of the laity uh, to use our terms today. It spread because of what you just mentioned about Derwin Gray, uh, Paul looking at the assembly as not the game, but preparing the players for the game that was out there. And that's how Christianity spread and disciples kept propagating and propagating uh, more and more and more. Uh, can I mention just one more thing? I know our time's a little bit mm-hmm. short. Here's the opportunity I think we have, especially in these days of COVID, and that is everybody's hitting reset buttons. It's not one reset button. I mean, I've hit the reset button five times. You know, I've hit the reset button more times in my life in the last 20 months or whatever than I have probably my entire life, you know, put together. And um, uh, it looks like we might be getting ready to hit another reset button. It's an excellent time for you to hit reset on how you approach discipleship in your ministry. You you can get away with almost anything today because of COVID, uh, anything legal. <laughs> okay, I don't, you know. But in ministry, we have to mold and shift. And I wonder 
if this whole reset that's happening in our in our culture is going to end up helping us be even more effective in this idea of making disciples i think it's going to you know because we've had to remodel and reshape and we we've had to get creative and uh you know all that well discipling doesn't stop you know at the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And discipleship is why you and I are here today. I mean, we're here because of Jesus. I get that. But the methodology of making disciples is somebody led me to Christ. I didn't fall off a log, bump my head, and go wake up going, I love you, Jesus. Somebody stayed with me actually for months because my heart was so stoned. Um, And finally, my wife and I, uh, submitted to the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the help of this man and his wife to lead us into that saving knowledge of him. So, um, well, I've been on that quest to obey ever since, and I'm still on that quest, that long tail. <laughs> well, Chris, thanks so much for sharing your story. It's, I mean, I mean, the passion you have for discipleship and for helping the church just bleeds out of you, and mm, I so appreciate that. Thank you. And you are a blessing to the church. And and we are thankful that you are now in Iowa and can be a blessing to Iowa pastors and churches. And so thank you for sharing your story with us. And uh, I am sure that we will hear more from you as we continue. Well, I hope so. A lot of topics have been turning (laughs) in my mind just just as you listening to you. Well, Ben and Chris, thank you guys for allowing me this, you know, platform and the great work that you both do. Oh my gosh, if you only knew, you should probably I should be interviewing you guys, but uh, thank you for the opportunity and the platform. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Well, that was just a brief introduction to the idea of integrated discipleship, but hopefully you can already see how viewing your church itself as the ultimate discipleship tool can bring clarity and focus to your ministry. Thinking back on the interview, what's one specific action you can take this week to cultivate more discipleship in your church? You can find out more about this podcast, the Mission Innovate podcast, at bciowa.org slash podcast.